one through, well, there I'm on now, one through, uh, just read one through 13. Uh, no, go ahead and read one through 15. That's good. Yep. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the, into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you, entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Okay. Are you guys familiar with this passage? Read it, obviously, some, hopefully. Um, what is the initial problem in the parable? What's the initial problem? Well, he's, okay, he's been dishonest. Uh, is that the first thing they say about him? Yeah, so the first thing they say about him is that he's been wasting. What is he wasting? Right, the, the owner's possessions. Now, he's supposed to be doing something with the owner's possessions because he's a manager, right? I mean, so he's supposed to be doing something with them. But he happens to be wasting them. He's not putting them to good use. And this is a parable, but it's also edges almost towards a, uh, a figure of speech or, or like a, um, there's like parallels. So um, I think this story is a story about God, who God is. So who would be God in the story? The master, right? So, so we're going to learn something about God, who is the master. And we're going to learn something about uh, who else would be the manager. Who would that be? Us, right? Um. Maybe in the story, possibly even the Pharisees, because that's why I had you read that at the end. Uh, there in the in the story, to some degree, um, but us, right? So you're learning about that. Now, what is it in verse two that the master tells the manager? 
Yeah, you are going to... Go ahead, say it again. They're going to audit him. Yeah. Turn over your ledgers. You're going to get audited because what? You're, well, but you're going to get fired. You're going to lose your job. Okay? So, so the manager losing his position... Which is why I think that the Pharisees are a part of this because in the story, the Pharisees are going to lose their place as the leader of God's people. And the possessions that they have been wasting are the things that, the, that God has given to them to be shepherds of his people. So I don't want to, I just want to, that's a focus, but I do think that this story applies to all of us, Okay. Um, what's interesting about him losing his job is that the, the owner gives time. So he, he could have just brought him in and said, you're out, right? He doesn't do that though, does he? He says, you are about to lose your job. So there's a sense of warning that is given in the story, okay, Uh, which would give time for the manager to change his ways, right, so that's, that's, I just want to, that's important in this story, Um, and so uh, the manager comes up with a plan, right, so now tell me, what is the plan of the manager. What's that? Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It goes all the way from three to seven, I think, concluding is the plan. So, discount debtors. Right? So, he's... He's reducing the debt that other people owe to the owner. This is where the dishonesty comes in. Yes, yep, yep. So he he basically goes to these debtors and says, you are going to owe less. So what is he hoping that will happen in the hearts of the debtors. Right, Kyle? Favor, right? He hopes that when he's in need, they will help him. Right? So that's his, his you know, he's just a, a sheer practical thing. I'm going to have need in a little bit because I don't have the ability to work or don't want to work. I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to have these needs, and if I do you a favor, then maybe you'll do me a favor back. Right? Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Um, so what ethical problems do we have with the plan? Okay, so, so he, the manager... is stealing from the master, right? But, let's be clear, if he was wasting the master's money already, he was already stealing from the master, right? So he's just focused his stealing better. He's smarter in the way that he steals. Okay? So, in Jesus actually commends, he commends him for his shrewdness. So, let's try to understand what, what is it that Jesus is commending him for? Obviously, the shrewdness, but put that into more specifics. Not easy to do this, by the way. 
I don't like recommend that you go to your boss and, you know, if you work at McDonald's and start handing out uh, burgers to people as they come through the line so that they will, you know, receive you after you lose your job at McDonald's. <laughs> um, but what can we commend about this guy? Because Jesus commends him. Okay, so the money, not the priority. If, if all he did was want money, what could he have done? Okay, he's lots of options. He could have went to those debtors, and he could have got all he could out of them and kept it for himself, Right? He could, have, um, he could have just stolen from his master on the way out the door. There's lots of things he could have done, right? So, so he, this is the, this, Robin's hit the nail on the head. The money is not the priority. Now, just think about how we think about wealth. How much of the world is focused on the gaining of wealth for wealth's sake? 99%. Okay, so, so and Jesus is saying money is not the priority. Okay, um, let's put this back into... The, the bigger picture, who's the, who's the owner? God, right? How much of the world's resources does God own? All of it, right? It's all his wealth, okay? So he owns it all. We, we all know that we all are stewards, Remember we talked about that tension between we, we own things, the Bible has private property that we own, but at the same time we're stewards of that because God owns it all, okay? Is there, are there ways in which we can waste what God has given us? And I'm thinking wealth primarily, but also uh, talents. I think the same principle is taught with talents and our time, okay? So we can be wasting what God has entrusted to us. The Pharisees were wasting what God had entrusted to them because it was part of their job to actually teach people the truth about God's word, and they were failing to do that. All they cared about was getting wealth. Okay? So they're wasting, we can waste it. So we can waste what God has given us as well. So then, we could do it by not working hard, we could use our wealth and our time and our talents in ways that are not consistent with God's priorities. Um, in the story, he uses a term called unrighteous. Unrighteous wealth. And when I hear unrighteous wealth, I tend to think of like wealth that you got sinfully. But I think he means bigger than that here. Um, I think he means well let's do this this will help you so we need to split the story into two sides the first side is while um, the uh, manager has a job. And then the other half is when the manager has lost his job. Okay? Now this is this is like an aha moment for me. I hope it is for you guys if you haven't heard this before, but um we're like the manager, okay? So how do we, how does it fit for us? When do we have our job as manager, and when have we lost our job as manager? 
What, what, what are those, what's the dividing line here? Death. Right? So when he talks about unrighteous wealth, I think he's talking about all that you have while you live right now. It is temporary riches of this fallen world in which you live. Okay? So what's here? Eternal wealth. Okay? That's on the other side. Or, or, eternal death. Okay? That's, that's it. You are going to lose everything that you have in this life. God's warned us all. It will not last. You know, we have the, you can't put it in your casket. Can't take it with you. It's gone. So he's like warned us in advance. And what Jesus is saying that you take an unbelieving manager and you tell him he's going to lose his job, he's going to make provisions for time after his job. And he says, you Christians, or you Jews at the time, you're not even as smart as them. Because instead of making plans for your future, you're continuing to hoard your wealth right now. Are you seeing this? So since you know that you can't have your wealth, how do you execute your plan and try to be as shrewd as the manager? What do you do? Yes. Now you think, so this has all kinds of theological problems to us because it sounds like that the manager is going to, he's going to be blessed because these people receive him. So this is like different than you know, the, the owner, you would think the owner in, a, in your uh, story, you would think that the owner is the one you're trying to please, right? So this is where it kind of somewhat breaks down. It's a parable, but it, I think it's still helpful for us to see. Who are these people? In the story, they're debtors. But how about with us? Who are the people that we're trying to use our wealth and our time and our talents to love. Huh? Other believers? Anybody in need? Have you heard about the parable of the sheep and the goats? Right? You've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Right? So there's this, this sense that we should be using our wealth to love other people. And Jesus says, when you do that, you're showing that you don't really love wealth. You're more concerned about people. Now, here's how I would take this. Obviously, I don't believe that other people are the ones that determine whether we get into heaven or not. I'm not, you know, so far throwing the the gospel out with this. But think about it. I think it's very practical to think this way. When you get to the judgment day, would you not want a bunch of people testifying that you gave up your wealth to love them? Or do you want everyone saying, oh, that's a miser? Think of like Scrooge, right? Oh, he's a Scrooge. He's a miser. He just loves his wealth. Is that what you want people to say about you on the judgment day? Or do you want people to say, no, I can testify. He sacrificially gave to help me in a time of need. Do you see that? Now, like I said, you can push it too far and, and, and like reduce the gospel and make it like work salvation, and that's not what I think Jesus' intention is. But he is trying to help us understand 
that we should let loose our, our wealth in order to, to demonstrate, to, to express that, that it's, we know that it's not about wealth because we're looking for eternal wealth. So in the story then, look at how he mentions this. Uh, verse 10, one who is faithful in very little, so no matter how much unrighteous wealth you have or temporary wealth, he's calling that very little. So the eternal wealth is much larger than anything you could have here. But if you've been faithful in this, God is going to entrust you with true riches. So do you think in heaven we're going to be like hoarding the wealth that we have? Or do you think we're going to be freely blessing others with everything that we have, right? We're going to, that's a part of who we will be in eternal glory. Um, and then he says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Think about the difference between now and then. In this life, the best that we can be called are stewards. What are we called in eternity? Heirs? We actually are co-owners of everything that God has in store for us? Do you see how these are, are connecting very well? Jesus is, is talking about, listen, I don't want you to serve this. This is what I want you to be thinking about. Eternal riches. Um, and then he ties it right back in 13 to uh, you can't serve God and money. <clears throat> yeah. It more or less says the same thing about treasures in heaven. You shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't save up treasures here on earth. It's treasures in heaven that... that so it says the same thing about... Um, you cannot serve both God and money. Right. So, the reason why I bring up this story uh, is that it, I think it helps us have the right balance, the right tension, um, that it really does matter how we view our wealth and how we need to, to let go of it and and to not let it consume us, to not value it more so than people. So just think about this, how you could use your wealth for eternal uh, uh, riches. You might, you might give to some charity, or you might give to the church, or you might give to an individual in need, and that might, might actually result in their salvation. I mean, think about the eternal riches of that. On the judgment day, saying, God used your act of love to bring me to salvation. That's eternal riches. Um, and so this is the mindset that he wants us to have. Yes, your wealth is your own. Yes, it's wrong for somebody else to steal from you. Yes, it's right to provide for your own needs. Yes, you shouldn't just give it all away and go be a, a, a homeless person on the street. And we'll even get to here in a minute. Yes, it's right for you to even enjoy the good things that God's given you. But just always have this mindset that wealth is not what life is about. Because God has warned us. And he's told us that this wealth will be gone. Period. That's it. All right, com comments or questions on that? Um, I've always wondered about this parable. <clears throat> um when the unrighteous uh, manager tells other possibly future employers, is that what he's looking, how he's looking at them perhaps? Um, to, to take down, to, to, to reduce the amount of debt, don't they understand that he is stealing in that way? He is stealing from Right, the but owner? so, so you, this is where you have to be like, on a strictly moral level, it's, it's wrong to take from, from God. But, but when you put it into that God is the owner, everything that you have belongs to God. 
You can't even take a breath that you're not borrowing from God. Everything in this life belongs to him. So therefore, you can either waste God's gifts to you and use them selfishly, or you can use them to love other people. And I think that's what you have to, in this, in this message, Jesus is not happy that they're stealing from him anyway. You know, that's not the point. The, the stealing is not the point. The stealing is, he just says that ungodly people know enough to say, oh, I should provide for my future. <laughs> and we are not, we're not doing that when we are so focused on the wealth because he says the wealth is going to be taken from us anyway. And so we should use it to garnish friends, to try to, try to gain friends, not garnish, gain friends, to earn friends. And that those friends will actually testify for us after we lose our job. Now, it could be they help us out themselves, but in the way this story, it says, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. I love it. It's not just that they give you more wealth or dwellings here and now. It's eternal dwellings. So there's, in the story, Jesus seems to be focusing on you want to have as many people on the judgment day saying, man, I'm glad to see Peter coming on in because Peter loved me in this life. And come on in, Peter, we're glad to have you because you are someone who loved us. That's, that's the point of the story. And we should want that. I mean, just it, Jesus is, I think, a, an amazing teacher that he could use a story where all we want to think about is the dishonesty of it to teach one of the most beautiful lessons on use your wealth to love people. People matter more than wealth. Just the way it is. I don't know if that answers your question because it still doesn't, the dishonesty is there. I don't understand how I wouldn't, the, the, the parallel between comparing the people who had their debt reduced mm -hmm. to people who were blessed in, after, and you know, when we get to heaven, okay, so, I, I don't so, really care what so, they think about me if they're going, willing to, you know, I don't want to be a member of a club that, who would accept me as a member, you know what I mean? Um, he's just... Well, because you're only thinking about being received by Jesus. You do care whether Jesus receives you, right? That's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in the story, Jesus is telling you that you should care that other people receive you as well. No matter how, what your motive is and what, no matter what their motive is. <laughs> you're pushing the parable too far. I've you're, you're, always, I've it's, always it's done that. Because, because, the, because the, the people, all they know is they've been loved. If I choose to do a good deed to, to John, and he thanks me for that, okay? I don't look it, at it as loving those people. I think he's manipulating those future employers. But, and no, if they see that, he's in trouble. Right, but if I do a good deed to him, whether it's manipulation or not, okay, if I do a good deed to help him, Okay. I the manager while he's manager it might be dishonest but he still had the power to reduce those debts that's a part of being a manager I have the power with my life to either do something good for John or not but where do I whose energy am I really using when I do something good for John the managers it's God's the it's the yeah. owner's money yeah. right it's his yeah. so I can in this life either use what God gives me for myself, or I can use it unselfishly to bless others. And I think Mary was, was good at this, that her initial reaction was other believers. And I think that, obviously, if they're receiving you into glory, there should be a rich welcome from other believers because you have loved other believers. And Jesus and the sheep and the goats actually teaches that. He says that when you receive the least of these people, you are receiving me. And so when you're loving those other debtors, everybody is a debtor to God. But you should use what, what uh, abilities you have in this life to love other people because you know that they are God's children, if they're believers, obviously. Not saying you shouldn't love unbelievers as well, but, but you're loving knowing that you're actually expressing a love towards God more so than you are a love towards money. And that's the end of the story, right? Right? 
the very end says you cannot be devoted to money and God. Can't do both. So in Jesus' mind, he's simplifying the whole thing out. Either you love money, and this is what most of the world does. They use people to get money. And Jesus says, you got it backwards. You're only thinking of this life. You should use your wealth to love people. That's the point of the story. Everything of this life, every, every good thing that's this, this life, all the riches, all the power, all the, the uh, good things of this world. So, and this is, that's why I bring this up, because it's, it's, it's challenging to me. It ch- should be challenging to Marcus. He's trying to figure out how he has to make it in this world. And, and the scriptures teach Marcus that you need to work hard. But when you work really hard for your wealth, the tendency is to then value the wealth, Right? And I'll, and, and I'll, I'll pick on Marcus, not pick on him, I'll, I'll honor him, because he, I invited him out to lunch this past week, we met, he knew that it, my birthday was the next day, and he paid for my lunch. You know, I thought, and I almost said, no, you can't do that. And I thought, no, he's using wealth in the right way, and wealth that he's worked for. He cares about his wealth, but he used it to bless me on that day. And I'm going to, I'll testify. I'm testifying to you right now. But I'll testify on the judgment day. Marcus did that, right? That's the kind of testimony you want from the rest of the world. And I do think we will testify on the day of judgment to the good things that God has enabled other believers to do to us. That's going to be a glorious day. It's going to be pretty awesome. No, I don't. I can't testify to his motive. God might, <laughs> but I can testify to the act that was done. And so that's what we do. Okay, we want to be a blessing to others. In some sense, in some mysterious way, the testimony of other believers will fit into the judgment. I don't know exactly how that works. I can't. I don't understand the judgment completely. But he says, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So, it just brings it tangible. Your love of other people matters. And I think it's directly consistent with Matthew 25 and the sheep and the goats. So... fun, isn't it? Don't you love the Word of God? <laughs> Reading this book, the, the, uh, they're not all that many ink question marks. Yeah. <laughs> but beside the plan of this dishonest manager, there is one. And I, I'm really grateful to you, Mike, for, I mean, I have never understood that. Wonderful. Well, that's... I mean, I guess we're so horizontal, Yeah. you know, in our living that it's just hard to understand that the dishonest manager was making provision for his future and and not just manipulating and, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's just hard to make the jump. Yeah, it is. And I, you know what? I think that Jesus knew that. I think, I just, I just think he knew that many people would read this portion of scripture and go, this is crazy. But, um, but I think it, it um, is a real blessing to us when we, when we see it. So, all right. So if you haven't got your, um, thou shall not steal, um, uh, sheets, um, I would encourage you to, uh, to get them, or maybe Clay, you can pass them out. There's there's several of them there. Um, I just want us to walk through how the confession uh, lays out some of these uh, statements, or the catechism, anyway. So, 
larger catechism 141, what are the duties required in the Eighth Commandment? The duties required in the Eighth Commandment are, so the first three, truth, faithfulness, and justice. Now, I've written some comments in there. Maybe I haven't for you guys. I've written them for me. So besides truth, you you should think, do not lie about the facts of a contract. So because the truth, faithfulness, and justice are in contracts and commerce between man and man. So if you're in a contract with someone else, you should not lie about the facts of that contract. Okay, that's, the, that's what they're talking about, truth. Faithfulness, I think, is that you, you are committed to follow through on the promises of the contract. Okay? So if you agree to work an eight-hour day, but you don't work an eight-hour day, you're stealing because you've not followed through on the contract, okay? Um, And then thirdly, justice. And I think there, the courts should make correct rulings on the breaches of contracts. So that's what the courts are supposed to do. So you have truth, faithfulness, and justice in the contracts of men. So that's like the big thing. If you're a libertarian, that's all they care about right there. Libertarians, that's their idea of justice. Um, I'm not a libertarian uh, but because I think that governments do have the, the importance of promoting good, not just enforcing contracts. But it's important for governments to try to do justice by upholding those contracts. So then the next uh, section is rendering to everyone his due. And I would, I would think in this one it means wages, taxes, respect, and honor. That's coming from the, the verse that's there. It's any of those things. Um, Jesus says, if, if render to Caesar what is his due, render to God what is his due. So um, that's what he's rendering to everyone is his due. Restitution of goods unlawfully detained from the right owners. That means if you have a stolen good, you should return it. Um. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wish everybody would return the books that I've loaned to them that they haven't read, <laughs> and they're sitting on their shelves. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I go, okay, I need that book, and I go, man, I should really keep a list of who I lent this book to. <laughs> well, I, I do do that on many of my books. You can talk to Danny on this. He knows that I do this. But I've been guilty. I have a, 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 a jack that I know is not mine that I should return at some point. So it happens both ways. But returning is good. Uh, next thing, giving and lending freely according to your abilities. Uh, you can only give what God gives you. If you, you know, Jesus doesn't say to the woman who gave the two mites, man, if you just had more faith, you could give more. You know, he's, she gives out of what has been given to her. And the necessities of others. And so I would just say it's good to want to meet the needs of others. You know, as you see needs come to you, it's good to do that. Uh, next it says, moderation of our judgments, wills, and affections concerning worldly goods. Um, my mom used to always teach me everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. Uh, too much of a good thing can be bad. So, um, so a moderation of how you think about, that'd be judgments, wills, what you want, your affections. Uh, moderation of those. Don't fall into the quick, get-rich-quick schemes. A provident care and study to get, keep, use, and dispose these things which are necessary and convenient for the sustenance of our nature and suitable to our condition. I think they're just so smart in this. Uh, I mean, God's smart. They're just following it. But, but some people need 
differently than other people need. Uh, put it in the, in the sleep. How many hours of sleep you get a night, Howard? Seven, that's pretty good. I've heard, anybody here just really good on like five or six? Peter, five or six. Peter could say to Howard, Howard, you're, you're not getting enough done because you're getting seven hours of sleep. You got to be able to get by with six or five, you know. But notice how it says they're suitable to our condition, right? You, you are to, to get, keep, use your, your wealth according to who you are. It may not be exactly to somebody else's, okay, which should keep us from judging other people all the time. We're not all exactly equal, right? We shouldn't all have the same amount, which is why I'm not a socialist or communist. You know, that God has each of us different, and therefore we all have different amounts that we use and need. Some things, Rob and I have this theory that that we all are extravagant on some things. In our household, we like food. We like good, other households, you know, I think uh, Art says he gets a like this little insure or something for breakfast every morning or something. I don't know what it is. I'm like, oh, man, that just sounds like torture. You know, is that, am I right on that? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but, it, but anyway, that just sounded torture to me. But to him, it was perfect, right? You know, and that's, that's good. So um, anyway, just you should have a study of this. You should have a provident care of this, understanding that God's in control. I am who I am. You know, and, and, but you should use those things well. Well, but uh, dispose is not just get rid of. It means to make use of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To your, yeah, you're not just supposed to keep it. You're supposed to use it. Yes. Appropriate, yes. That's an excellent. Uh, instead of just a uh, convenient, appropriate. Also, you should uh, have a provident care and study of your lawful calling and your diligence in it. So God, God calls each of us to the jobs that we do, whether it's a street sweeper or a teacher or a pastor. You should, you should use your lawful calling and be diligent in what you're called to do. Um, uh, the song I'm thinking of, uh, it's, it's rock uh, song, um, uh, he, he just, I think it's Joe Walsh, says he's a street sweeper, uh, and, or maybe it's Jimmy Buffett. Anyway, he's a street sweeper, and, and without this job, I would be less, and he says, than what I expect of me. But I think whatever your job is, you should do it with diligence because it is what God has given you to do, right? Uh, frugality, avoiding unnecessary lawsuits, suretyship, and other like engagements, you can avoid courts, you should. Um, and endeavor by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth of our outward estate of others as well as our own. So I love, the again, the, the idea is that you should take care of your own estate. It doesn't just say, uh, give everything you have and become dependent upon everybody else. That's not what it says. Uh, you're supposed to make a provident care of that. Yeah. Suretyship is um, just when. Go ahead. Say, co-signing a loan. So if if my son came to me and said, "Dad, would you co-sign a loan?" I might do that because of my connection with my son, whatever. Um, but. You shouldn't do that unnecessarily. You shouldn't bind yourself to people unnecessarily because it could get you into trouble. You could go into debt. You could be, and they're just saying that that's not a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Larger Catechism 142, what are the sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? Sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment, besides the neglect of the duties required, are theft, robbery, uh, we don't have to make any comments on those. Man stealing. This is taken from 1 Timothy 1.10. Let's look at that real quick. 1 Timothy 
So it says, uh, going through a list of uh, things you should not do, uh, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and the word there is enslavers. Do you see that? So the idea is that you would take someone into captive in order to sell them into slavery. It's called man-stealing in the King James, I think. This is a fine distinction in Scripture. Scripture does not condemn all slavery, but it does condemn man-stealing. So my question to you is, what other methods might be employed by which you would become a slave, if not man-stealing? <laughs> Welfare system, that's funny. Okay, go ahead. So they sold themselves... Why? Right. So it has to do with money. Maybe they had debts that they had to owe. So in the biblical system, and I think even in the Roman, I don't know about the Roman system, but I know in the biblical system, If you had a debt, there was no such thing as like a debtor's prison. You would get sold into slavery to the one in whom you owed the debt to in order to pay off the debt, okay? Most of those were temporary. Uh, You had things like the year of Jubilee that you could release all debts, those kind of things. But, But the idea, one aspect can be debts, something to do with money, with the hope of trying to get on. And the idea that the slavery is there, but it's not a... Uh, eternal slavery. It's not a generational slavery necessarily. It's something that you could work off the debt. So, yeah, so another one would be conquering armies. And again, over time, people could then get out of slavery as well. So, think about in our, when an army comes through and devastates, Assuming that the army doesn't kill the women and children, sometimes that occurred, but assuming that they didn't, you then had women and children who didn't have anyone to care for them, and it was, it was actually better than just killing them to bring them into uh, your, your group and actually enslave them, at least for a time. So that was, that was part of that. Uh, go ahead, Kate, and then Bill, maybe, I think, had his hand up. So blackmail, right? That's that's yeah. It's it's a false view, a terrible view of this. Uh, that's almost I would almost consider blackmail in terms of a um, a type of man stealing. Almost you're 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 seducing them and twisting them in in order to enslave them. Bill, did you have your hand up? In my lifetime, Mike, uh, I was introduced to one form of temporary slavery in terms that uh, a couple brought a German, well, in fact, they brought two German girls over at different times, and they were indebted to that couple. They lived in their house. They were were domestics. They uh, had very limited access to the outside, and in their particular case, it was a two-year contract, mm-hmm. but that's a, that is a form of slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyway, just and, and I, we could have a huge discussion on all the different aspects of slavery, but I just want you to see that, that both the catechism and your, uh, the Bible um, condemns the idea of stealing another human being, but it doesn't condemn all forms of slavery. So go ahead, and then we'll... When I s- Excuse me. When I said welfare, I was thinking of addictions because you have drug addictions, you have addictions to generational welfare, all those kind of things that end up enslaving people. Uh, no, no I, I actually think that I laughed a little bit just because I thought it was. Uh, uh, yeah, you're. 
<laughs> but no, I, I think that you could, governments can try to enslave people, and they can do it by creating a dependency. Yes, they can. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, just see that in there in the text, that that's what they're... And then receiving anything that is stolen... And so the idea is we should not want to receive stolen goods, even if we did not do the stealing. We should, we should want to try to, we shouldn't be like, man, I got a great deal on this. Uh, and sometimes you don't know. <laughs> I'll never forget, um, this is just, I'll try to be quick in this story, but um, my dad had a camera that was a wonderful old camera that I, he let me take to Bolivia, and I actually lost it in Bolivia. Someone stole it from us. Uh, and he, he still, to this day, mom and dad said, I can't believe you let that camera out of your sight. You know, anyway, it was a big deal. I'm the trustworthy son, so they'll give me the camera, and I lose it. So anyway, but the way that dad got the camera, he owned a, he owned a business, and this guy came to their business and sold it to him out of the trunk of his car. So it's very likely that that camera was stolen in the first place. That's the point I'm trying to get at. Dad probably got a great deal for that camera because somebody else stole it in the beginning. So, um, so turnabout's fair, fair play. Someone in Bolivia now has uh, the camera. Uh, fraudulent dealing, uh, false weights and measures, removing landmarks, uh, injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts, oppression that's a that's a biggie if you use your power to to like i don't know maybe an example of this is the uh coal companies in in ages past where they they like basically forced the the coal miners to be dependent on everything like they their house their job their food everything was owned by the coal miners and you get into that and so we right yeah, because I mean, in essence, you 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 what the coal company gives you is actually less than what you need to live, <laughs> and they get it all back. That kind of thing. Um, so that can happen. I think governments can oppress, but I think individuals can oppress. I think uh, companies can oppress. All those kind of things can happen. Uh, extortion, usury, usury is um, using an interest rate to just get wealth. We think of this in terms of our credit card companies uh, that do this. Um, it's, it's not just no, especially in our day and age where interest is always rising, so the, the cost of goods. It's not wrong to loan for some interest. Uh, that's important part of life, but usury is, is doing that exorbitantly. Um, so bribery, vexatious lawsuits, trying to get even with people. Uh, and then I thought, unjust enclosures and depopulations, that's one I had to look up. Did anybody have any ideas on that one? <laughs> you have an idea? Yeah? Yes. So the ground was owned by the manor. And if you ever watched Downton Abbey, you know, they, they own everything. But then certain tenants have rights to that. And then everybody had a right on certain property to... Uh, to hunt on that property, and so then if, if a farmer comes along and he encloses a portion of it for his farm, anyway, it, it's not something that we think about today. Uh, depopulations, buying up large tracts of land, uh, getting the tenants off. I think, I, I'm, I don't know this, uh, this is hearsay, but I've heard that China is buying a whole lot of property in America. <laughs> so... Um, these kind of things in order to gain that wealth and, and power and stuff. So, yes, and, I, and I've got, I got to finish, so one second. So the last thing is that I wanted to, to get at is um, you can at the very end defraud yourself in the due use and comfort of that estate which God has given us. I love that. At the very end of all these ways you could steal from others, you can steal from yourself if you just don't enjoy what God's given to you. Whew. Isn't that cool? Uh, if God gives you, you know, you, Robin makes a good meal, and I feel guilty because I'm able to eat a meal because that's someone starving somewhere in the world. No, that's not, that's not the way you think about this. 
you should enjoy what God gives you. And I thought that's a really good balanced thing. So I'm going to close, and then I'm going to, Ken, get your last comment. Father, thank you so much for the command, and thank you for your word, which exposits it very well to us. Help us to not be people that value the wealth of this world for its own sake, but let us be lovers of people, and particularly your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, Ken. And anybody can listen if you want. Go ahead. Um, I was, you said that it doesn't happen, the enclosure part there. If you recall, it is happening in this country because we have a lot of public land for grazing and for cattlemen and such and things. And, in fact, it has been changed, and now they're, they're are doing exactly what they're saying. You can't graze there. Uh-huh. Okay. And such. So it is happening. Yeah, yeah. Eminent domain, riverlands. Uh, okay. All kinds of stuff. Well, wasn't that a big deal when it came to Lake James? That used to be all public lands, and everybody could use it, and now it's been privatized, and you have uh, parks and different things that, huh? Yeah, but pretty much to Burke County residents. I just remember that being a big thing when that was dezoned, and uh, a lot of Burke County people were up in arms because uh, we are going to lose our ability to go out there and drink beer on the lake and stuff like that. <laughs> so, all right, thank you guys. Yeah, there actually already is a new sheet. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor is already back there. So and we'll pick that up next week. Yep. <clears throat> Thank you, Gary. <clears throat>